Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you're here today to praise the Lord with us, to learn from his word from Pastor Bays. And would you please stand with us? Let's praise the Lord together.
God's house, it's not to be entertained. It is to worship God by lifting up our voices in praise. And this song is perfect. Last week, we were under the threat of hurricane. You remember all of that? And you know what? Uh, we didn't have very bad tropical storm even, as it turns out. But I want you to know that's purely the grace of God. A lot of people south of us in Mexico had a terrible time with a storm. A lot of damage was done. Uh, even a lot of places uh, in the United States were, were affected adversely by flooding and, and mudslides and different things because of that. When we say online or in person, you know, God is good because he spared us, it makes people who were not spared feel less than spiritual. We got to be careful about that. There's no good thing about us that spared us and, and dumped judgment on other people. It's, not, it's purely the grace of God. It's purely his mercy because the storm, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, amen? And hurricanes hit the just and the unjust, and fires, unfortunately, hit the just and the unjust. So we just give thanks to God today because it was just an, a rainstorm that we had last week and not even a really bad one at that. So we're grateful for his blessings upon us and pray for those who were affected. So let's pray right now. And I want us to pray for Monica too, who had surgery this week, who's having a pretty difficult time. Uh, so let's pray for her. And then also uh, probably watching, Kimberly Morgan's watching and her brother-in-law is unaccounted for in Maui at this point. So we need to be praying for him as well. And uh, let's bow our heads for a moment. Everyone, every head bowed. If you have a special prayer request, I may, may not be aware of it. Just raise your hand up for just a moment. And uh, there are probably eight or nine, ten. Yeah. Father in heaven, you know the needs on the hearts of every single man, every single woman here today, every young person, every teenager. God, I pray for Monica that there would be a speedy healing and that you would lessen the pain that she's experiencing. I pray that you would be with the doctors and the nurses as they uh, monitor her progress and pray that her progress would be quick and would be complete. Father, I pray for <clears throat> this young man in Maui that's still missing. I pray that he's okay, just hasn't had an opportunity somehow to check in with family, and I pray that he would do so very soon. I pray, God, for Dan's dad. I pray that you would minister to him, give him healing. And Lord, watch over him. God, I pray for the hands that were raised a moment ago here. You know the burdens of, of the hearts of every person in this room and those that are watching on Facebook or YouTube. And I pray, God, that you would be the great physician. I pray that you would be the God of mercy and grace. I pray, Father, that we would be grateful to you for when you spare us and dependent upon you for when we're going through our trials and tribulations. God, you're an awesome God, no matter whether... Uh, there's a hurricane or a fire or whether it's, a, it's calm. You're always an awesome God. We thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves. So bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. All right, say hi to the person next to you and then go ahead and have a seat. We've got lots of seats down front still, so come on down to the front if you're looking for a place to sit. 
So good to have you all with us today. If you're watching YouTube or watching by way of Facebook, thank you so much for doing so. Hope you'll come and be with us very, very soon. All right, you're having too much fun now. Knock it off. Hey, hey, I have a sense, I have a sense, special revelation. Someone on this stage is having a birthday today. Somebody on stage, and it's, it's four score and more. <laughs> Who would that be, Lori? All right, happy birthday to you. God bless you. All right. You say, well, you didn't mention my birthday. Yeah, but she, I like her a lot better. <laughs> All right, we're glad to have everyone here. If you're a first-time guest, would you please do us a favor? And it'll be rewarded with a Starbucks card. If you'll fill out one of these cards and give it to us at the end of the service or put it in the offering box by the double doors, uh, that's where our members put their tithes and offerings. But if you would fill this out uh, and give us your information, we would appreciate We will not abuse it or misuse it. Uh, but we will send you a Starbucks card, and thanks for being here at First Baptist Church. Today's Sermon on the Mount, Part 1. It was going to be a Sermon on the Mount, all parts. Right now, I've got five parts to Sermon on the Mount, so working through October. I think I've got sermons planned through October the 5th right now, so be praying for me that we get through the Sermon on the Mount sometime this year. Uh, <laughs> Next Sunday, the Sermon on the Mount, part two, duh. And also communion, Holy Communion. So prepare yourself this week. Don't wait until next Sunday to kind of examine your heart. Take time uh, all this week to look into your heart and let, ask God to reveal things to you that you need to see and make them right. Make them right with other people and make them right with God, of course, first and foremost. Still in, needs, uh, in need of help in the children's ministry, thank you for those who have volunteered and going through the process. New member class is forming. If you're interested in possibly becoming a new member, you uh, just sign up, take one of these cards, put your name and contact information, and say new member class in big letters. We'll get you the information, let you know when that's going to be, and hopefully you would be able to make it. You have the option after you attend the class of either joining or not. Either way, it'll be a free lunch. We are so glad uh, to have people interested. If you're interested in baptism also, you can use this and say, I'd like to be baptized. Mention the date uh, that you'd be able to be here and maybe invite some family or friends, and we would be glad to take care of that. What a couple of weeks we had. This is the bulletin article. What a couple of weeks we've had. Title of it's Paradise on Fire. Uh, about three weeks ago, the news of devastating wildfire on the island of Maui was being reported coast to coast. And Bob's going to be going to uh, Oahu or no, Kona. Uh, Bob, you're right over here. Not, you're not Bob. Uh, Bob, be going to Kona and then he'll be uh, preaching while he's over there. And, uh, and we've got Annabelle and Jack's daughter right back here in Oahu. So uh, they're well aware of, of how difficult it is over there. But on the island of Maui, uh, have you ever been to Lahaina? How many have been to Lahaina? One of our favorite places. Uh, every few years, we like to travel to Hawaii, spend one week in Waikiki, surrounded by tourist experiments, the tourist, tourist traps. Uh, and then we would be off to Lahaina for a laid-back, island-flavored retreat, eating lots of shave ice with ice cream in the middle of it. From the news reports, we recognize some of the places on Front Street that we would frequent. A frantic effort is now being made to find the remains of perhaps hundreds of people who are still missing. I learned that the fire was about 2,000 degrees in some places. In such conditions, many remains may never be found. How profoundly sad. This fact conjures up two thoughts. First, I feel great sympathy for the survivors who are looking for family and friends who are still missing. There's a chance some will never be found. 
For many, it will be hard not to have remains to bury, to memorialize, and a place to erect a marker as a memory of those loved ones. Closure, or whatever it used to be called, will be difficult for them. We need to pray many will be found and hopefully still alive. The second thought is this. 2 Peter 5, 3 through 10 tells us that one day this old world will be completely judged by fire. The elements will all be burned up. Even the oceans and atmosphere will catch fire and oxidize. Now, some people can't believe that, but you have salt water out there in the ocean. Sodium, you ever dropped sodium in a beaker of water in a, in a college laboratory like I did? Uh, <clears throat> you probably got chewed out by the instructor like I did <clears throat> because you had a violent explosion like I did, sent flames flying and a beaker broken across the, the lab table. So, uh, and, and it's right out here, folks, sodium Chloride, water, they're right out there. All God has to do is just flip a switch or say the word, and it can burn up. <clears throat> but that will, what will be left is not destruction, but renovation. You remember he renovated the, flood, the earth first time with flood, right? He judged the earth, judged the sin on the earth, and wiped out all the, the population, and then uh, started over with a, with a new renovated earth. So that's what's going to happen with fire. God will destroy all brokenness, all evil, all that is pagan, all that is sinful, and even death itself. In its place will be a new heaven and a new earth, and they will be glorious. Can you, you know, <clears throat> okay, Hawaii, I love Hawaii. I love California. I, I, I just, there's so much beauty and, and so much good about those two places. But can you imagine how it's going to be when all the sin's gone, all the evil's gone, all the uh, stressors are gone, and all the taxes are gone, and <laughs> no more interest rates on housing and, and, and all of that, whether they go up or down, not have to worry about that? Can you imagine how incredible heaven is going to be? I mean, I, I, you, your garden's going to be crazy, Selena. It's going to be crazy. It's just you guys who have gardens, it's going to go crazy. So what a blessing heaven's going to be. It'll be glorious. So paradise will not be destroyed. Rather, the renovation will produce paradise like we've never seen it, and I'm ready for such a day. Are you? Yeah, it'd be okay if the Lord came back today, wouldn't it? Amen. Be all right with me. Let's stand as we continue to worship the Lord in song this morning. And remember, it's not to entertain us. It's for us to worship God. You say, well, preacher, I don't sing very well. Neither do I, but it doesn't stop me. Go ahead. <laughs> Go for it.
Thank you, praise team. Thank you so much. Oh, boys and girls, First Baptist Church, come on down to the front. While they're coming, let me make the announcement I forgot to make so earlier. We will have a men's breakfast this Saturday at 8 a.m. Come a little bit early, about 7 or so. Help us cook, help us prepare, set up. Uh, we've got a great team of guys that do that. Uh, but come be with us on this Saturday morning, 8 o'clock for sure. We'll have a phenomenal breakfast. Luke chapter 6, if you're out here uh, and you're too elderly to be up here. Let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. Boys and girls, how many of you know, how many of you know how God talks to you? Huh? Anybody have an idea? Right here, through the Word of God. This is God's Word. Ellie, do you know, do you have a Bible at home? Huh? Yeah? No? Okay, we'll get you one. All right, so the Bible is God talking to us, and he tells us all kinds of things in his word, and we're so glad that he does that so that we know things about him. And some of the things are easy to understand. For example, the Bible says that God so loved the world. What does that mean? Somebody tell me. God so loved the world. Does it mean that he loves this planet? Or does it mean he loves the earth? For God so loved the world, he loves who? Everybody. He loves you, boys and girls. He loves moms and dads, grandmas and granddads, aunts and uncles. He even loves sailors. <laughs> he does. He so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. But some things are not easy to understand. One of the verses I'm going to talk to your parents about is it says, happy are the sad. Does that make sense? Happy are the sad. Well, I'm going to explain to them what that means, but but I want to tell you, just because we don't understand something the first time we read it, the first few times we read it, doesn't mean it's not really God's word. There's an explanation for it. We just need to know what it is. And what that means, that happy are the sad, happy are we who confess our sins and are sorry for our sins to God, and he forgives us and then lifts that heavy burden of sin. So, boys and girls, I want you to always know the word of God is God speaking to you. Listen to them. Read it. If you don't understand something, ask your mom and dad. If they don't know what the answer is, ask your Sunday school teachers. If they don't know what it is, ask the preacher. He'll ask his wife, and we'll, <laughs> and we'll figure it out. I'll get the answer for you. I promise you, one way or the other. So God speaking to you. Let's bow our heads, and we're going to pray. Ready to pray? We're going to bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for the blessings that you give us every single day. Every day we can have you talking to us as we read your word or as someone reads it to us. So God, bless these girls and these boys and bring them up loving you and serving you and believing your word. And we'll thank you for it. And all the boys and girls said, Amen. All right. Good group of kids. Go on to your classroom. Thank you so much for being in God's house today. Luke chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, part 1. It's one of the best loved portions of Scripture is we, when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount. It has to do with what Jesus said and what he did on or near a mountain around Capernaum in about 31 AD. Luke chapter 6, verse 17, if you're there. 
When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus in a large level area. Uh, commentators say what he did, he came down from the high place to a kind of a meadow area that was kind of leveled out. It wasn't completely down sea level, but on kind of a leveled area uh, and surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. And there were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoasts of Tyre and Sidon, they're on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, pointed that out last week, and they had come to hear him, and they came to be healed of the diseases they had, and, they were, and those who were troubled by evil spirits were also healed. So he cast out demons from those that were controlled by evil spirits. He healed those who were sick, and he preached the word of God and gave them the truth from the word of God. Verse 19 says, everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone who came to him. So remember, he'd gone to the mountains to pray. He had prayed there all night. He was praying for guidance because he's getting ready to select his 12 disciples. Can you imagine what an important decision that is? If you, if you hire people, if you have anything to do with hiring people, how important is it to get the right people to do the right job uh, and to make sure they're going to fit harmoniously with your style of, of, of hiring and, and business and so on? It's so important. And so here we're talking about God's business, the most important business in the world, uh, the business of saving souls. And so Jesus, very much concerned about that decision, prayed all night long, getting direction from Here's what happened. He came down from the mount, stood in a level place. His disciples and multitudes were all around him. Uh, he healed the sick, cast out demons, and uh, demonstrated great power. Then he comes to this portion of Scripture we're going to talk about today called the Beatitudes. And I love what someone said years ago, the Beatitudes are attitudes that ought to be. So... <laughs> Your attitudes ought to be the ones that he lists right here. And someone else called them the blesseds and the woes. So blessed are those who do the right things and woe upon those who do not do the right thing. Uh, it's been said the greatest hunger in the world is the hunger for happiness. People are seeking that. Uh, how's your plan for happiness working out? And, and when I talk about happiness here, I talk about something much deeper than just the surface happiness, the joy of the moment. I talk about an abiding joy that governs everything that happens to us, that, that influences every part of our being, something really, really deep. Too many of us have taken the lures of this world, and they haven't delivered. Some of us have believed the lie of wine, women, and song. Some of us have read from Ecclesiastes when uh, Solomon's disenchanted and uh, and he's, he's followed after a bunch of, of his wives who were pagan, and he comes to the conclusion that all is vanity, everything's awful, it's, all gonna, it's a mess, everything's terrible. Uh, not, not everything that Solomon says is right or true. You need to understand who's talking, what they're talking about. He's coming from a very secular mindset at this point in time. He's coming from a, a, a polytheistic mindset. Uh, when he's writing Ecclesiastes. So just understand, same thing with Job. Not everything in the book of Job is encouraging or as true as right because some of Job's friends are saying some things that absolutely are not true. So you got to know who's saying what and who they're saying it to and what they mean. Uh, this, this idea of girls' golden glory. I was told in Bible college, stay away. These are the three things that will cause trouble for preachers, and girls, gold, and glory. And so, yeah, you know, so, and I think I've told you, uh, 
So I don't know anything about where the checkbook is. I don't write anything. I don't have anything to do with writing checks. I don't have anything to do with the offering. It's, it's all taken care of by other people. Um, and, and I deflect and give glory to God. I, 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 you know, and, and I set up a, a, uh, a cautious way of counseling when it's members of the opposite sex. I have the door open. Uh, Julie comes by and checks and makes sure uh, and and yeah, so I, I, so then I get thinking, I, well, I'm doing all right. I'm I'm really doing well. I'm, I, I've got all these checks and balances. Yay for me! I'm not. Gonna, and there's pride, right? So there's that glory part of it. So you got to be careful. Uh, we take these lures. We take these things that we think are. And, and until we're weary of trying to find abiding joy God's way, until we're or our way rather, we're not ready for God's way. I read, or I didn't read, I watched a Prager University um, presentation, this, I think it was actually from last night, about an atheist who said, why, I'm no longer an atheist. And it's awesome if you get a chance to go ahead and watch that. It's, it's an amazing testimony of how she tried everything there was to try before she finally came to the end of herself. And until you try everything, and if you keep trying everything that, that you think will fill that emptiness, uh, you're, you're going to be miserable, but when you do it God's way, you will be filled with joy. So this, that's what being poor in the spirit or bankrupt is all about. We'll find out in a minute. Why not give God and God's way a chance? You've tried your own way. Give God's way a chance. And the place starts at the beginning. So we read here in, in the scripture, blessed or happy in a lofty sense are the poor. Blessed are the poor. You say, well, boy, chalk one up for me. I'm, I'm poor, so I must, be, I must be happy and just don't realize it. The, this word blessed here, Aristotle contrasts makarios to indies, two different Greek words. Uh, indies is a needy one. Uh, makarios is the one who is in the world yet independent of the world. His satisfaction comes from God, not from favorable circumstances. So if you're dependent on circumstances to make you happy, you're going to have problems because you're going to go out one day and the car's not going to start. There's a circumstance you don't like. Or you're going to go out and your car's not going to be there because somebody else borrowed it. You don't know who borrowed it or where they took it. That's the circumstance. Or you get fired from a job or you get laid off from a job or you come down with uh, mononucleosis or you have... Uh, I, e. Coli, e. coli, Ebola, E. coli, I get confused. E, e, yeah, I, 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 I'm lying, I really know, but E. coli. So, so, so circumstances change. Things happen. Things happen. Um, when my wife married me, I weighed 165 pounds. Now I don't. Things, well, I do, uh, and, and then some. Uh, things change. So, so blessed are the poor. Happy are those who are dependent on God, not on circumstances. Happy are the, poor. The, the oppressed, the afflicted, the miserable, the needy, who, cover like a, who cower like a beggar. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not in material wealth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 3. Or in the New uh, Living Testament, Testament says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And what follows are seven distinctives or seven characteristics of those that 
the kingdom of heaven is for them, and God will bless them. So first one is the poor. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven with a spirit of pride. You can't do it. Pride is, uh, is, a, is a dreadful thing. It's a terrible thing. Pride is an awful thing. Uh, to get proud of who we are, to get proud of what we know, to get proud of what we look like, to get proud of our race, to get proud of, and I don't mean to denigrate those. I'm just saying uh, we, we don't need to be so full of ourselves. Someone says humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less, and there's a difference there. So you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're full of yourself. The world says you've got to be somebody. You got to be somebody. You got to make it. You got to make your mark. You got to achieve. You got to, uh, and, and so there are all these different uh, goals that you reach for, but it's often the poor in spirit who are rich in faith. I point back ever so often that my trip to Cambodia was incredible several years ago. And these Christians who had nothing. I mean, by, by comparison to what we have, have absolutely nothing. They were the happiest people that I think I've ever known anywhere. And, and I, I was going to go make a side trip to Vietnam, which I did. And when they heard I was going to Vietnam, they said, oh, you're going to go to Vietnam. They're rich over there. And, and, and I got to Vietnam. They weren't rich and they weren't happy. For the most part, they were very sad looking. Their countenances were sad. I'm just telling you how it was. And, and so I went back and I told the Cambodians that were Christian, Cambodian Christians, I said, you are rich. You are blessed. You are happy. It's not the material things. It's not the achievements. It's not the power. It's not the glory. It's not the glamour. It's the relationship with God in our lives. James 2, 5 says, hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to them that love him? Paul said, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things? You may not have much of a bank account, but if you have Jesus, you've got everything. You are rich. Revelation 2, 9 says, I know thy works, Jesus said, and your tribulation and your poverty. And Jesus said the first key to happiness or satisfaction in God is poverty. So I ask you again, are you happy? It's not material poverty, but realizing that we have nothing in and of ourselves to offer God. Spiritual poverty and neediness is there, the meek, the lowly. In Luke 18, 11, two men went to the temple to pray. You remember that illustration? One of them got up and said, I thank God I'm not as other men are. I thank God I'm not like them. And the other wouldn't even lift up his eyes. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's Who do you think went down justified from that place, from that time of prayer? It wasn't the one who felt like he was okay, felt like he was rich in himself and his power and his prestige and his person. And I'm, I don't do all the, I, I keep all these laws and I'm sure other people don't. And looking down on everyone, so what is in him? He was full of himself. The smallest package in the world is a man wrapped up in himself. We must not enter God's presence with a spirit of pride or privilege. We're, in, we're impotent, not important. Pride ends in humiliation, Proverbs 29, 23 says, while humility brings honor. We have nothing and no resource but Almighty God. We are the poor, the oppressed, the afflicted, the miserable, 
and the needy, and heaven is for the poor in spirit. In spirit. That's why I say, too, that's why I said well, this morning, uh, don't say, well, you know, it's the mercy and grace of God that he poured out upon us because he must have seen something in us that he gave us that grace last Sunday. No, no, it wasn't that. We have nothing. Blessed are the poor. Secondly, blessed are those that mourn in verse 4 of, of chapter 5 of Matthew. What does that mean? Happy with God are they that mourn or wail or grieve, for they shall be comforted. And as I told the kids, it kind of on the surface makes no sense. It's like saying happy are the sad. Everybody here has been through mourning of some kind or another, some level or another, some degree or another. If you've lost a grandparent, you've, you've mourned. But if you've lost a spouse, you've mourned more, more than likely. If you've lost a child, you've mourned horrendously. I can't even imagine what either one of those two things would be like. Happy are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There are nine Greek words, I'm told, for the word English word grief. Nine different words. Now, all of them are marked, uh, indicate that life is marked with a veil of tears. And it's been that way since Eden's fall. Have you ever felt like David in Psalm 55, 6? He said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. I'd get out of here. I'd be gone. Lo, then I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Have you ever felt like just taking off? I had a preacher one time who said, he said, he looked at me and he got kind of a glazed eye look and he said, have you ever thought about just getting in your car and just going? I said, I've thought about putting my wife in the car and then going with her. Uh, kids will be okay. Let's go, Pat. <laughs> Though it doesn't say it, Adam and Eve must have wept in Genesis 4, chapter 4. Can you imagine? It does say Abraham wept at the death of Sarah in Genesis 23, verse 2. He wept at his the loss of his wife. You, you who've experienced that, you've lost your wife. I can't imagine. I, I, I say again, I, I, I don't want to leave Pat here by herself, to die and leave Pat here by herself. I, I, I love taking care of her. I want to take care of her. But I don't want her to go first. I told her the only solution is do like the, you know, they did with the pyramids. When the, when the Pharaoh died, bury his wife with him. <laughs> She's not on board with it. She's just absolutely not on board. Submission, kind of a, well, anyhow. <laughs> Abraham wept at the death of Sarah. Timothy wept in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Jesus wept. The son of almighty God came to the tomb of Lazarus, whom he knew because he was God, he was going to raise from the dead. And Jesus wept. He cried. Jeremiah wept many, many times. Paul wept in Acts chapter 20, verse 31. Peter wept in Mark 14, 72, when he realized he had betrayed the Son of God three times, exactly as Jesus said he would. Life is tough. I like the meme I saw yesterday. It says, life is not fair. Get over it. It's just not. There's loneliness. Some of you live in a sense of profound loneliness for a variety of reasons. There's failure. All of us have failed many times. There's disappointments. Who hasn't been disappointed? There are concerns. There's discouragement. 
There are hurt feelings. There's death. There are broken hearts. Some are feeling those things, combination of those things, even today. And quite frankly, some sorrow we experience is our own fault, right? Some of it's our own fault. Doing things that we were warned not to do, like Amnon who took his own stepsister or, or his half-sister rather and took her violently and, and brought down wrath upon him later on. Or Ahab who, who was a wicked, wicked king up till that time, the most wicked king Israel had ever had and, and killed an innocent, had an innocent man killed rather uh, so he could steal his, his vineyard. I'm told that Alexander the Great wept because he had no more countries to conquer. So there's sorrow aplenty in this world. But there's also a godly sorrow. And this is the key to understanding this happy or the sad. Godly sorrow is something to be thankful for. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 7, for God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. We will never regret that kind of sorrow, he says, but sorrow without repentance is the kind that results in death. This Prager University, this this lady's testimony of how she went from being an atheist to being a believer, she recounts kind of chronologically the the things that she did in her life that were, had nothing to do with godliness, had nothing to do with Christianity. She was not brought up with any kind of teaching of religion at all and how that she tried to fulfill that vacuum, that vacant space in her heart and her life with all these things and nothing worked and she came to the point of absolute misery. And then someone invited her to a play, C.S. Lewis play, And in that place, she said, what am I doing? This is about Christianity. And she came to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because godly sorrow leads to repentance. So happy are the sad who then find deliverance and repentance. If we were happy doing our own thing, we wouldn't seek after God. So we need to be thankful for godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings life. It leads to repentance. It is, it is sorrowful over our sin. David had it in Psalm 51, did he not? Job had it. Even though Job was a righteous man and, and I look at what happened to him and my hat's off to him, still he, he repented in dust and ashes for some of the statements he made before God. This word in the Greek text that's translated mourn in the English is the strongest of the nine Greek words we referenced a little bit earlier. It was used to the disciples after Jesus' death. It involves the very rending of the soul. Have you ever mourned like that? Have you ever wept so hard and so long that you had no more tears to weep? I think I've done that. David experienced that at Ziglag. He came back and his village was burned and his wives were gone and his children were gone and all of the other wives and children were gone and they sat, he sat down with his men and they wept, the Bible says, until he had no more power to weep. 
And then the men said, it's David's fault. If he hadn't had us out fighting battles, we'd have been here. And so they thought about stoning him. Things went from really bad to even worse. But you know what David did? He inquired of the Lord. He prayed. He said, should I pursue? God said, go. You'll recover everything. And he did. But before the victory was the rending of his soul, happy are the sad. They will be comforted. Number three is the blessed are the meek. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What does it mean to be meek? I think sometimes we have a wrong idea about being meek. It means gentle or mildness. The English meeting doesn't really do a lot. The Greek is a lot more specific. And according to Vines, it says, it must be clearly understood, therefore, that meekness manifested by the Lord and commended to his believers is the fruit of power. Meekness, as manifested by our Lord to his disciples, is the, is the fruit of power. The common assumption is that when a man is meek, it's because he can't do for himself. He can't get himself straightened out or fixed or, 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 or whatever. But the Lord was meek because he had the infinite resources that were his as being God, the Son of God, at his command. Meekness is the opposite of self-interest or self-assertion. I told Pat on the way over here, he could have called 10,000 angels to take him off that cross. But I'm not going to tell you something. He, one angel would have been enough. But I'll tell you something beyond that. He didn't need anybody else. He was the son of God and God the son. He could have come down off that cross. He could have stricken every Roman soldier with blindness or death. He could have had all the Jewish legalists keel over or frozen in stone or turned to pillars of salt. He could have done whatever because he is the son of God and God the son. But he was meek. Power under control, like a child, a little child sitting on the back of a stallion, stallion's nostrils flaring, the muscles rippling, beautiful creature, strong creature, a little child sitting there, the horse remaining meek, power under control. You see, Jesus' meekness was not cowardice. It wasn't compromise. It wasn't impotence. It was staying under control, even if you have the power to do something else. Ephesians 4, 2, be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Colossians three twelve. since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. How does meekness manifest itself? Abraham said to Lot, nephew, go ahead and choose. You choose what you want. You choose the land you want. I'll take what's left over. Joseph was meek. 
because he was the second in command in all of Egypt. He was right under the Pharaoh, and here his brothers were who sold him into slavery, and they were at his mercy, at first not even knowing who he was, later on finding out who he was. And when their father died, the brothers thought, "Uh uh-oh, it's curtains for us now. We're going to be made slaves. We're going to be made to pay for what we did. And Joseph loved them and spared them and did not visit his wrath upon them. He remained meek. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. David showed meekness when he was in the cave in En and Saul came in. He was there for a little while, and David walked over, and his men were saying, David, David, God's delivered him in your hand. You gotta be careful when people tell you God's saying something. You gotta be careful about it. Make sure it agrees with the word of God. David, God delivered him in your hand. Go take his life. Go kill him. You'll be the king. David walked over and cut a piece of his garment. When Saul left the cave, David came out and asked for Saul's forgiveness. He said, I cut a piece of your garment off. He was convicted about even that. He spared Saul's life. Another time he came in, he got the spear and he got the cruise of water and walked away and the, the king was lying there asleep. He could have taken the spear and driven it through his chest, but he did not because David was powerful but under control. He was meek. Paul had no confidence in the flesh, but he could do all things through Christ. Jesus allowed himself to be taken in the garden. He wouldn't have had to. He allowed himself to be beaten. He wouldn't have had to. He allowed himself to be mocked and ridiculed. He wouldn't have had to. He allowed himself to be crucified, nailed to an old rugged cross. He did not have to do that, but he did it because he was meek. And what's the result of meekness? Happiness in the Lord, inheriting the earth, the kingdom and more, reigning with him. Why is meekness necessary? Because only the meek can be saved, and I'm running out of time. I'm going to go a little bit faster. And secondly, because it's commanded. And thirdly, because you have to have it to receive God's word. And fourthly, you should be meek because God, it pleases God. How do we know if, our, if we're meek? We examine our hearts. Are our hearts humble and obedient, or are they arrogant and proud? Last point is this, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, verse 6 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, what? What happens? For they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. They shall be satiated. They shall be absolutely full. What does it mean to hunger and thirst? Have you ever fasted? Sometimes one meal feels like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Get all sad looking. But if you ever fasted for a few days, if you ever fasted for a week or more, you can go without food much longer than you can go without water. And I can go without food a lot longer than you can. I've got energy stored up. I'm ready for the famine. So here's a paradox. How can you be hungry and happy at the same time? The key is, for what do you hunger and thirst? Or for whom do you hunger and thirst? Hitler didn't hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
He hungered and thirsted after his own power, after, after anti-Semitism, after uh, defeat and destruction of all enemies. Lucifer didn't, didn't hunger and thirst after God. He hungered and thirsted to be in the position uh, that God was in. And Jesus offered himself as bread and everlasting water. Hunger has to do with intense desire. Most of us have never, have never really hungered and thirsted in the way that we're talking about here. In World War II, some of you know the story of Louis, Louis Zampini, who was in a dra- on a raft in the Pacific for 47 days until rescued by his enemy. And if you've ever seen, what, what was the name of the uh, Unforgiven? No. Huh? Unbroken. Incredible movie. The book is even better. The book is incredible. What he endured. Hunger and thirst. And by the way, in this text, the words hunger and thirst are in the present participle, which means literally, blessed are those who are hungering and are thirsting. It's a continuing process. I, I didn't hunger and thirst last week. I, I'm hungering and thirsting today. I'll hunger and thirst tomorrow. I'll hunger and thirst on Tuesday. Moses begged God, show me your glory. David said, my soul yearns for you as the heart pants for the brook. So my soul pants for you. Paul said that I may know you. It means to be starving for God. Prodigal son came. Beautiful story. He was literally physically hungry. He was starving. For what do you and I hunger and thirst? Is it righteousness? Hopefully it's not just fun not just power, not just money, not just fame, or not even just food, but rather to be right with God. And what is, is the result when we hunger and thirst after righteousness? We will be satiated. We be, will be absolutely satisfied. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 23, I shall not, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. John 4, 14, whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John 6, 35, and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life, and he that comes to me will never hunger, and he that believes in me shall never thirst. So how do we know if we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Quite simply, Are we looking for that sense of fulfillment and joy and happiness in things or in thirsting? Do we hunger after God? So what do we learn today? Happy in a profound way and joyful are the poor and the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and of theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And happy are they who mourn, and hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, for they shall be comforted and satisfied. Are we in that sense, in a biblical sense, joyful and happy and fulfilled, regardless of circumstances, regardless of all the other stuff? Now's the day. Today is the time. The rich man came to that point too late. He said, could you just send Lazarus with a drop of water, just a drop of water to put on my tongue? Too late. He didn't 
receive the Lord at all. He died in his sins. Don't you make that same mistake. And Christian, don't you make the mistake of trying to find joy in other things and other stuff. Our Father in heaven, that abiding joy, that fullness of the Spirit, that blessedness, that happiness that's not just surface, but it goes deep into our heart. Thank you for it. God, may we, may we be poor in spirit. May we, may we be happy by morning. May we hunger and thirst after righteousness. May we be meek in our dealings at work and at play and at home, wherever we are. Oh, God, help us. Lord, meet the needs of this congregation. If there's someone here, most of all, who's not ready to die, I pray that you show them if they're not ready to die yet, then they need to stay here until they get ready to die by trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. With every head still bowed, every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you'd like to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to pray. I want you to pray something like this. You can pray out loud. You can pray in your own heart. God knows what's going on in your mind and your heart right now. If you want to receive him, would you pray something like this? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't get to heaven on my own. I can't buy it. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. And I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe they crucified him and put him in a borrowed tomb. And Lord, I believe he rose again on the third day. And this morning, I've come to the point where I want to fill that hunger and thirst and that need in my life with you, God. So please be my God. Jesus, be my Savior. I trust you right now. With every head still bowed, if you just prayed that prayer right now, right where you're seated, would you raise your hand up real high? Hold it up for just a moment. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. Just hold it up for a moment. Preacher, I prayed that prayer. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Father in heaven, have your will and way in our hearts. God, work our hearts over so that we know what real happiness, real blessedness is. And may we practice these characteristics and these traits for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? The invitations for anyone who needs to make a commitment to the Lord. If you want to receive him as your Savior, if you'd like to come and present yourself as a member or to be baptized or whatever it is, God would have you to do. As the praise team leads us in this invitation verse or two, you come right now. I'll meet you right down here. Ladies, my wife is right here to pray with you.
sing together. places, Lord, we pray that you would always give us the opportunity and the freedom to be able to preach the Word of God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be in an attitude of surrender to you all day long, all week long. We pray in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for being in God's house today.